This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. It's all part of this sort of woke, toxic masculinity type palaver. I know my grandson was rejected from going to, uh, to year three in a couple of years' time because they had uh, thoughts of young ladies. I'm an old boy at the school. And my son is also an old boy. And the intention was always that I'd have a grandson. But I won't bring him to a co-ed school. <laughs> it's just so sad that his, his hypothetical grandson isn't going to go to a sausage fest as he did and his son did. That was his future. You know, it was all boys Newington College. Pretty sad stuff, get to right? sing those creepy songs. I think those images of like boys' school students all standing together in a crowd singing a song that is there's something about it that makes me feel it sparks something inside of me a fear a fear a disgust a discomfort a confusion oh come on everyone when has a group of all male secret societies ever done anything bad or wrong (laughs) that's that's true i'm being unreasonable i'm being hysterical because i'm a woman or a lady if you will. And that's why (laughs) we can't have me around distracting the boys. Oh, fucking hell. Well, what you want with your girl? It is like the official adult version of girl germs. All right. It's like reached reached the adult brain. (laughs) The 160 year old school, which which charges annual fees of $42,201 for a year 12 boy. (laughs) For the privilege of getting no pussy. Sorry. Look, to be honest, when I was in year 12, closet and gay night, I, I would have paid 42 grand to be surrounded by, by 40 dicks. young men who we might have flirted with homosexuality mm. for men they, they got there. I should have that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Seems like a pretty good deal to me, but anyway. <laughs> uh, we'll allow female secondary school students from 2026 with plans for it to become fully co ed by 2033. It's, it's, it's all happening so suddenly. It's just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is. Just is this because by they surprise. are financially challenged? Because that's usually why these schools do this. It's not for any social oh, reason, interesting. right? I, that's, but, I'm just asking. I don't know. Well, I couldn't tell you if they're going to have more students. I would assume it would be the same amount of the same number of students. Mm. So it would be Only the same. I, right. When I, cause, you know, when I was reading about schools that have changed from single sex to co-ed, the, usually the examples are because they're like struggling and so they're like, fine, we'll let in the girls or we'll let in the boys. <laughs> well, well, according to the reports, this could be losing the money because oh, people who donate to the school are yes. so fucking angry that they're pulling their money out of the school right. because they hate the idea of <laughs> women it's being wokeism. educated. It's wokeism somehow. I'm not really sure. I guess yeah. because, yes. The conservatives, because there are the fucking gender wars and because that is such a talking point of the conservative right at the moment, anything to do with not rigidly separating <laughs> two genders from one another is, yeah, it's a war of wokeness and well, I an love attack the on the crowd. fabric of society. <laughs> the anti-woke crowd has now moved from there are two genders to there is one gender. There is, there one is gender. only one gender. <laughs> <laughs> This guy was crazy. That that the guy that talking about his grandson who was crying. He's a former construction mm-hmm. boss, Tony Ratsos. Apparently, he was involved in some LNP corruption scandal as well. You'd be surprised to hear that's allegedly, oh. allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> uh, he graduated from Newington College in 1977. He also sent his he son to the school. Fine. He, he t- out yeah, fine. it's great. Everything's fine. <laughs> 
He used it against co-ed schools. He argued that Sydney already had a wide selection of these and there needed to be options available for those who want to put their kids in single-sex education families. Safe spaces, you might say. Indeed. Yes, a little bit triggered here. Boys, listen to this justification. Boys generally learn differently to girls. There's no evidence they, for that. Do they? No, they I'm pretty sure you sit there and you listen and you think times, about stuff. Actually. Yeah, so mm. the girls, this is great though, the girls would become the dominant students and the curriculum would be built around them. What? So, you know, it'd be about boys and feelings and, and the oh, gossip. right, and yes, I makeup. Should. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, boys really- <laughs> everything everything would be home echo. <laughs> yeah, and boys struggle at that. The boys would be second rate students in the next five to ten years. Just he just says this. What are you? Why talking don't they pull about? themselves up by their bootstraps? Then maybe they yeah, should work harder. Scared of a little bit of competition in the marketplace of ideas, it seems. He, he added, for those who did not want to attend co-ed schools, pulling out of Newington would cause issues due to incredibly long waiting lists in private school boys today. Uh, private boys schools today, right? So of course, think of these poor. These poor oh, boys who, are going, to who want to leave because they want to hang out right. with women that might not get into another elite mm. institution. Mr. Do you reckon he supports quotas? Do you reckon he supports? <laughs> anyway. Uh, he said Newington College already has plenty of co-ed interaction with its sister school, MLC School, and that it was important to hold up Newington's all-male traditions. It's more than just a school. It's your life. It's a community, he said. That's although. Sorry, what? I just could, but I'm like, but is is that what life looks like? Is that what a community looks like? Just dudes? Just dudes, baby. <laughs> what kind of life are you living? What kind of community are you living in? It does where I'm from, Emerald. Right, 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 right. <laughs> all these men today that were protesting, they're not strangers to me. They're my brothers. They're all old boys. It's a bond you can't break. Well, that's sweet. But yeah, it is. Yeah, that's oh, it's, great. You know, bros, bros before hoes. This is, again, it's a girl gym policy. It's a bros before hoes policy. Mm. He said that if the school were to go co-head, that bond no longer applies. I cannot bond with a woman because the (laughs) dynamics have changed. I can't bond the same way as I do with these men, with these men, with girls. I don't think you should be bonding with girls, sir. (laughs) Sir, no one is asking you to bond with girls, please. Sir, this is a (laughs) 7-Eleven. Please. I can't look at a I can't look a girl in the eye and call her a Newingtonian because that's not what the essence of the school is about. You know why you can't look women in the eye? Because you went to an all boys school, you crazy yeah, motherfucker. Yes. It broke your brain. Yes. <laughs> it ends here. It ends here. <laughs> I can't look a woman in the eye. I'm too busy looking at her tits. <laughs> Fucking hell. Brisbane's Lord Mayor saying every resident should be worried. If you get the Greens and Labor forming a coalition to run Australia's largest council, things can go downhill really quickly. They've got a really radical agenda that could take our city backwards. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse podcast. Serious Danger Australia. Hey everyone, this is Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia. I'm Emerald Moon, that's Tom Ballard. This is a co-ed podcast, everyone. Disclaimer, this is not an official Greens Party podcast. It is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week, we're talking about, you know what it is, it's AI and politics and that cooked, weird Photoshop story around Georgie Purcell, the AJP MP, who was given a midriff against her will. I think the AI went to an all-boys school. And was, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Must have been, well. <laughs> wanted to see a bit more midriff. Yeah. An interview that I really enjoyed with Jonathan Sri Ranganathan, the Greens candidate for mayor in Brisbane City Council, uh, who joined us from the public library. Very fitting. Good chat. We argued a bit. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Lord Mayor, thank you. Have some respect. Lord Mayor, please. I'm very sorry. 
Thanks to our patrons, you beautiful people who support the show. We love you. Patreon.com forward slash Serious Danger AU. Welcome and much love to Lara, Raj, James, Ponraj, and Cameron. This week, we released a Patreon episode about the dog shit Sky News documentary, Liberals in Power. We watched it so you don't have to. That's right. You're welcome. Uh, everyone's talking about Nemesis, the ABC series, but no. Hmm. Last year, Sky News beat them to the chase. The brilliant yeah. genius that is Chris Kenny talked to a bunch of cunts about cunts being in power. We watched it and dissected it. That is a bonus episode for all you patrons. You get a bonus episode every fortnight if you sign up for just three bucks a month. Please do. Please do. Also... Thank you, all the people who went on and left us five-star reviews after we discussed the one-star review, you know, uh, attack campaign that's being run against us. Mm. Some people left lovely reviews. Sass Machine says, properly good stuff, informative and entertaining, really valuable and worth listening in, regardless of your political persuasion. Love you. I thought that was Dr. interesting. Like, and then yeah, we know there are Labour MPs. Persuasion. That yeah. still that still does amaze me. I'm going to be honest, but some people are maybe more tolerant than I am. Than you, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Doctor Inkduff says came for Centrelink for life and free marijuana. Stayed for the woke lefty trash. And Thank the you. dirt farmer also says woke lefty trash, which is exactly my cup of tea. <laughs> Thank you, friends. <laughs> uh, it really does help. It spreads the word, grows the podcast, gets us in the algorithm and the charts and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. If you're watching this on YouTube, please do give us a like. Make sure you subscribe. Yeah. I think you can press the little button, the bell button as well, to get notifications, but that also helps get more people watching our vids, which means we can spread the words about the Greens and begin the revolution. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it starts here. <laughs> Your review. My own personal view is, is people have three quadrants of their brain. They have academic intelligence, social intelligence, and sporting intelligence. All right, let's do it. One of the biggest and surely the weirdest stories in quite a long time uh, from this week that we really wanted to talk about was that of Victorian Animal Justice Party MP Georgie Purcell and the mysterious case of sexist AI photoshopping. Mm, Can we mystery music there? (laughs) It was very bizarre. It went global. It was reported by the BBC, the New York Times and CBS. It was a real Australia-mentioned energy (laughs) out there. Yeah, yeah across the world and I thought this little uh, package might sum it up well that uh, set the table for us. This is reported in New Zealand by News Hub on the Georgie Purcell story. Welcome back. Doubt has been cast over Channel 9's explanation of its epic Photoshop fail. The doctored image appeared during a news story featuring Australian politician Georgie Purcell changing her appearance and adding bare skin where there was none. The network blamed errant AI, but the company behind the program says that's just not possible. Australia correspondent Emma Cropper reports. After a bad day at work, Australia's youngest MP watched the nightly news bulletin and it instantly got worse. I actually noticed because my stomach didn't have a tattoo on it, so I found the original photo and noticed not only had they given me abs and the crop top, but also enlarged breasts as well. The Photoshop fail appeared on Channel 9's news. They sincerely apologised for the graphic era, saying it was resized to fit their specs, and during that process, Photoshop created an image not consistent with the original. I don't think there's a single young person that hasn't struggled with their body image and seeing your own body altered on TV on the big screen is very, very confronting. But Adobe has cast doubt over the explanation, saying their program would have required human intervention and approval to alter the image. 
Purcell also doesn't believe Channel 9's explanation but does believe their apology is sincere. She doesn't want anyone fired over the incident. Instead, it should serve as a broader message. She says that people should think more carefully when they're altering images of women's bodies. But I do hope that they have learned a lesson because this has affected me in some way. It could affect other women even more and it should never happen again. Just days ago, fake AI altered images which made Taylor Swift look naked started circulating online and have since been taken down. It's not just pop stars, though Australia's Prime Minister and the opposition leader Peter Dutton, the most recent politicians to have their bodies altered. In Sydney, Macropa News Hub. Okay, Wait. Right, first of all, first of all, that last those last two examples, I, no. you just cannot compare them to Georgie Purcell. For people listening, it was photoshopped. Oh shit! Oh, hang on, God, Caleb Bond is talking at me now. Hang on, hang what? On. <laughs> like the next video played. Mm. For people listening, it was a photoshopped image of like uh, Anthony Albanese's head on a woman's body and Peter Dutton on like a ripped dude's body as well, like clearly blatantly photoshopped. Yeah. And, the idea and that it you're just looked like classic Photoshop, not even, I don't even know if that was AI. My <laughs> other uh, question, Emeralds, as a big Swifty fan, did you see the naked AI Tay photos? Did you no, search them out? No, I actually, like I heard about this and even though I know it probably doesn't make any difference, I did feel like I shouldn't go search for them since right. I think she's expressed that, it, yeah, like it's an uncomfortable thing and I imagine it would be an uncomfortable thing. I know she's a celebrity, whatever. But, yeah, I don't really feel any need. Fair enough. I just thought you might have had a squiz, but fair enough. You're a good person. No. That's, that's important. <laughs> Okay, so again, just the timeline. Nine News apologised, said it was a graphical error, blaming automation while a staffer was resizing the image. Adobe says that is not possible. Any changes to this image would have required human approval. Nine was like, well, there was someone working on the image, but no instructions had been given on the tone of the picture. Like, that would have been said, hey, make sure you mm-hmm. make her hotter, increase the breast size, or show a midriff, or what have you. Yeah. Georgie Pell says she's not an expert. She doesn't really believe Nine's explanation. She finds that hard to believe, but she also doesn't want anyone fired, as we heard there. I don't know. What do you think actually happened here, Abel? Well, okay, because as I understood it, there was things developed over a, a couple of days, right? And initially it was like just Adobe had said this couldn't happen without, I think they said, I thought they said human intervention, but yeah, maybe human approval, which is even more vague. Right. Um, but we were sort of like, well, yeah, so then can you really believe Nine's explanation? Because I didn't understand how it could have happened. But then people recreated this mm. and explained how it could have happened. But then there was were people who pointed out that there was a version of this photo where it was cropped just below her breasts, like mm. basically at the midriff line. And if you said use that tool in Photoshop that goes expand image, mm. it it ex- it just fills in the rest and that's where it could have given her a midriff and abs and that's clearly I mean that that explains what happens to me yes. and so then it makes it a question more about why would AI have done that chosen yes. to do that without yes. even explicit instructions which I, I doubt that they gave it instructions to do that right but also Adobe's explanation is like oh only a human could have been involved with this gives the impression or at least there was an impression flying around that there was a deliberate strategy here to mm. be like okay let's present this uh, left-wing progressive MP as, or let's diminish her and, and make get people to take her less seriously in the public eye or yeah. like this was a deliberate um, uh, approach or the idea to sex up this image courtesy of nine I think years. the truth is is much sadder. 
Right, which is that there is biases inbuilt into AI. The, the, the question is like, okay, sexism has happened here. Where does the sexism lie? Who did the sexism? Sexism lies in society, yeah, mate. Man, it's like, all fucking, yeah. So it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere, baby. Yes. So I think we can dismiss the idea that someone at Nine News was like, ha, 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 take this Georgie Purcell. I'm going to show you midriff and increase your, bo- your boobs to legitimize you as a political attack, all right? That's not necessarily true. Uh, but whether the AI program, the generative AI that is embedded in Adobe's Photoshop results in these kind of um, uh, altered images and and whether that those resulted images, that generative AI has a bias to provide uh, more sexist uh, pictures um, courtesy of just, just by courtesy of the algorithm. And yeah, because fr- what is it learning from? Because that's the thing, right. as we've spoken, you know, when we've spoken about AI before, including in the interview with my sister, Georgia Hines, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we spoke about is it AI or is it machine learning and what is it, 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 because it's not coming up with its own thoughts. We don't have AI that does that yet. We have AI that, you know, we call it AI, but it's just learning mm. from humans really. Yeah. And so where it comes from ultimately is is humans, but it's it's a whole it's millions of humans over yeah, over many, many years. It was Earth and all along. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, our good friend Ken Wilson at Crikey, good friend of Serious Danger, uh, did some great has done great reporting around this and sort of like laid this out pretty clearly, I think. And first of all, he sort of establishes that we know that there is bias in AI models. Popular AI image generators have already proven to reflect harmful stereotypes by generating CEOs as white men or depicting mm. men with dark skin as carrying out crimes. This, this shit was crazy to me. One researcher found that when you asked Midjourney to generate black African doctors providing yes. care for white suffering children, the generative AI product would always depict the children as black and even would occasionally show the doctors as white. Just just black doctor does not compute. Yeah, yeah. They're like, you must have made a mistake here. Let me fix that for you. Here's what you must have meant, I'm sure. Are you sure you want to do that, David? Yeah. Yeah. But even just, just the way that AI sort of, it, it makes an assumption almost that you've made a mistake and it, it fixes that, fixes that for you. And so it necessarily right. trends towards like a normative ideal. And that is why I think that this would have been so confronting for Georgie to see, right? Because mm. you would have seen, this is an image that uh, encapsulates what your body is quote unquote meant to look like. Like this yeah, is what God, AI, right. which is a reflection of human society, things you are supposed to to look like, and that is that fucking sucks. Georgie <laughs> <laughs> well, Pesel, I mean, not that it looks bad or what have you, but I think she looks fucking awesome because she's got sick tats. And uh, <laughs> anyway, that's that's beside the point, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is. There was also an example of she's hot. Like, okay, no. Uh, <laughs> the group of scientists found that ChatGPT was more likely to call men an expert and women a beauty when asked to generate a recommendation letter. Wow, oh, isn't that fucking creepy? <laughs> Jesus. So anyway, Cam Wilson did the experiment. Okay. So he's like looking at the generative AI features in Adobe's Photoshop. Um, uh, these, these features are introduced into Photoshop last year by Adobe. One feature is the generative expand tool, which will increase the size of an image by filling in the blank space with what it assumes would be there based on its training data of other images. So yes, as you say, learning from existing um, uh, resources uh, and the rest of society. In this case, the claim seems to be that someone from Nine used this feature on a cropped image of Purcell, which generated her showing midriff and wearing a top and skirt, rather than the dress she was actually wearing. To find out what Adobe's IA might be suggesting, I used its features on the photograph of Purcell, along with pictures of major major Australian political party leaders, three men, Anthony Albanese, Peter Dutton, and Adam Bant, and two major women, Pauline Hanson. Major Australian political party. Interesting. Major, yes. 
And two women, uh, Pauline Hansen and Jacinta Allen, who also appeared in Nine's graphic with Purcell. What I found was that not only did Photoshop depict Purcell wearing more revealing clothing, but that Photoshop suggested a more revealing, sometimes shockingly so, bottom half for each female politician. It did not do so for the males, not even once. And so we can link through the article. You can see what, what Cam did there. He takes like, you know, the shot of Adam from about his chest upwards, does, does the generative fill out, uh, fill out the, for the rest of the image, and what do you know? He's just wearing a short shirt and uh, jeans. The same thing happened for yeah. Dutton and for Anthony Albanese, even though Anthony Albanese was wearing a shirt, a little bit more casual. AI knows that Adam is a cool politician because it put him in <laughs> jeans rather than like suit pants. That's interesting. Thank you, AI overlords. And then uh, for the women, and, the, and he has not published the female results mm. because he's like, this is inappropriate because the images they generated, I think, included like, Pauline Hansen in quite a short, short skirt, I guess. so. What? Like, yeah, wow. <laughs> I guess we missed out on that. Uh, but Cam says, far from sci- being scientific, what it proves is that Adobe Photoshop systems will just suggest women are wearing more revealing clothing than they actually are without any prompting. I did not see the same for men. While Nine is completely to blame for letting Purcell's image go to air, we should also be concerned that Adobe's AI models might have the same biases that other AI models do. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, to be clear, when we find an explanation for how this has happened through Photoshop's kind of infill process, that doesn't then absolve Nine News of responsibility for publishing the image. Like, it's still true that there is someone who had to look at this image and go, yep, looks great, without checking, without checking for biases in particular when we know that that's something that is really common with the use of AI. Yeah. So then this sort of conversation sparked a whole bunch of, you know, thinking about how much AI is used in newsrooms, what does that mean, how much, how much, I mean, what is extraordinary mm. about this image is like, like no one would have to- could tell that this was photoshopped unless you're Georgie Purcell yeah. and you know that you weren't wearing that, right? So she well, was the one who had to pick tattoos. it up. She said it was because she, she's like, well, I've got tattoos on my stomach. Yes. And so right, I saw this, yes. this picture with me with no tattoos on my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> he lays it out, my channel yeah. nine. And uh, you contrast this with, and Cam Wilson mentioned this in his bit, remember the Scott Morrison sneakers um, story from oh, like yeah. 2019 <laughs> where they tried to Photoshop? A simple time. <laughs> so good. Yeah, trying to Photoshop out his dirty sneakers with the worst Photoshop job I think I've ever seen. This is an official <laughs> government website and then they had to own up to it and Scott Morrison was like, oh, I didn't ask for them, but uh, if you're going to do a Photoshop, uh, could you put a bit more hair on my head? <laughs> It was a really good time. Anyway, so I guess it's it's freaking it's it's freaky how uh, at least in those in that very brief moment how you completely didn't notice it. And I suppose how many images are we mm. seeing? How much stuff are we out there? There's the results of AI, either text or images. And what does that mean for media and politics? Are you are you worried about our AI overlords killing us all, Emerald? I mean, yes. Like I think I am worried about people trusting AI or thinking that it is more capable than it is. Like I think that that is the concern and a lot of people who are experts in the space continually raise like it's not necessarily that AI is too powerful, it's that we believe it is. And I think when I had that interview with with my sister Georgia, uh, <laughs> she, she was saying that sometimes, yeah, that people will even tend to trust a decision that's made by AI more than they would trust a decision that's made mm. by human beings, which is actually quite problematic. It's often more likely that the decision made by AI will be more flawed. Mm. Yeah, well, Cam makes the point that it's sort of this this cycle where 
because you have to pay less attention with AI because AI is doing everything, then people pay less attention, more mistakes are made and go through the net as opposed to, you know, if, yeah, obviously if someone had to, didn't have the option of using generative AI to make that image work, they aren't going <laughs> to draw in a midriff or whatever or make that kind of thing up. So, mm. yeah, when you are automating a lot of things, a lot of the mistakes are going to be made. And when that comes to images, you can imagine in a context like a war, like what we're seeing yeah. in Gaza at the moment, you can see the potential for that kind of stuff. There's been a lot of talk about deep fakes. It's been a joke for a long time, but I think we are sort of getting closer to the point where they're getting pretty fucking good. And yeah. you could imagine without a level of literacy and awareness of how much um, deep fake ads being deep run in elections. can exist yeah. and how good they can be, you can see, you can see them causing mm. a lot of trouble. Full respect to Georgie Purcell. I mean, we've critiqued the Animal Justice Party in Victoria before, mm. you know, Sometimes we think there's a weird political strategy going on there. We're like, hey, just join the Greens, guys. We'd love to have yeah, you. I think you it can, sort of makes sense. Yeah. But she's dealt with the whole episode with a lot of grace, I thought, and she did She did have a quote saying, for now at least I know what I'd look like with a boob job <laughs> and chiseled abs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But the infuriating thing as well is the whole episode and the focus on the AI thing broadly overshadowed the reason why Georgie Purcell was in the news at all, why this yeah. story was being run. That news clip that you played, it starts with like, it was a bad day at work for Georgie Purcell and then she went home and watched the nightly news. It doesn't explain why it was a bad day for her at why? work. I've seen some exceptions and this has certainly lifted Georgie Purcell's profile in a way and maybe that has drawn oh, more yeah. attention to the underlying oh, issue. yeah, I'd say so. But she was out there because the Victorian Labor government made a frankly evil decision to not ban the very cruel practice of duck hunting. That was what she was out there sort of campaigning against. Duck hunting is currently banned in WA, Queensland and New South Wales. It's currently still legal in South Australia, Tassie and Victoria. I think maybe Queensland or WA banned it decades ago. Some states have not had duck hunting wow. for decades Look at, at us. this point. The Victorian government set up an inquiry into the issue last year. Uh, it was chaired by Labor MP Georgie Purcell, Greens MP Kate Copsey, and there were three coalition MPs and a shooters, farmers, and fi uh, fishers and farmers MP. And who knows where they stand on the issue of that? Uh, <laughs> uh, in August last year, the inquiry recommended banning duck and quail hunting on all public and private land from 2024. Uh, that was the majority view of the inquiry. Of course, the Conservatives, the Coalition MPs and the Shooters Party, they reported a, a minority dissenting report because, of course, they did. Um, this practice is cruel. The wounding rate is very high. It can be up to 40% of all uh, uh, for, for ducks, like, you know, you're wounding them. Wounded not and not killed. Killing them. Yes, and not yeah. killed and putting through a huge amount of pain. The inquiry found thousands of birds were wounded each year and described it as an unacceptable animal welfare outcome. It's also, you know, killing endangered and native wildlife. Mm. And the inquiry allowed some exceptions for traditional owners to continue hunting uh, ducks and and uh, for farmers to control bird populations on agricultural land, but generally it was like, no, we should definitely end this fucking practice. Apparently most Labor MPs in the government support it. It is controversial, but there is a majority support within the Labor government to end this stupid to practice. To ban it, right. But Jacinta fucking Allen's government uh, this week said the practice would remain in place, but they try to make it safer and more sustainable. Mm. Mm. Um, probably not for the ducks, I suppose. <laughs> uh, outdoor, outdoor Recreation Minister Steve Dimopoulos said, we accept that hunting is a legitimate activity that many thousands of Victorians enjoy and we want to make it safe and responsible and sustainable. There are many things that I don't enjoy personally. Duck hunting is one of them. But I can't sit here and tell Victorians how to live their lives. Fuck 
you just immediately turns into a fucking libertarian. There are all sorts of activities involving animals that you regulate. That's your Mm. fucking job. You're in the Mm. government, you asshole. Yeah, I can't sit here and tell. That's what do you do then? (laughs) Why are you telling people you get elected by the people to run the state? Yeah. Okay. And you've set up this inquiry. You set it up. Your own inquiry gave you a recommendation. Thousands of people submitted, you know, the RSPCA experts, concerned citizens submitted their evidence to this inquiry, made it very, very clear where the public stood on this kind of stuff. There's no question, no um, uh, case to answer. And yet you're all fucking cowards and cave immediately. Yeah. Can we just ban inquiries? I'm sick of them. I'm sick oh of this bullshit God. now. Yeah. That's. We can because we're not an official Greens Party podcast, so we're banning inquiries. <laughs> and people, well, crossbench MPs should get wise to this. Like, I, you know, cause obviously know. we're regularly placated people with the idea of, okay, we're not going to do the thing, but yeah. we will have an inquiry. And then it's like, well, surprise, surprise, they don't fucking work. Yeah, maybe if we didn't have inquiries that they could throw us as breadcrumbs to make us go away and shut up, then we would be able to make real gains. But we're in a situation where the only thing that we can get is an inquiry and so then we go for the inquiry because that's the only quote-unquote win that we're going to be able to get to say we secured an inquiry. Yeah. What is actually going on behind the scenes apparently is the insanely passionate influence of some unions within Victoria and uh, having a particularly – particularly powerful effect on the Victorian government. Okay, this is from August last year. This is fucking insane to me. An alliance of trade unions known as the Building Industry Group of Unions last week endorsed a resolution to walk off job sites if Victoria decides to ban duck hunting. They're going on fucking strike over duck hunting apparently. Wow. The group, which includes the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, the CFMEU, the ETU, the Electrical Trades Union. ETU. the ETU used to donate to the Greens and was aligned to Adam Band. And the Plumbers Union represents more than 85,000 Victorian workers, many of whom on government infrastructure projects such as the Metro Tunnel, Northeast Link and Westgate Tunnel. The resolution also vowed to ban Labor MPs from big build projects and reconsider whether they work overtime on the project sites. This, this is how committed they are to shooting ducks in the, the face wanna... for 12 weeks. Okay. The unions have conducted surveys to their members and distributed flyers at mass meetings seen by Guardian Australia, which claim the Animal Justice Party will move to ban all forms of hunting, as well as fishing, boating, and camping. Camping. Oh, my favourite shop. (laughs) They're going to ban BCF? That's not BCF and fun. One flyer states the party will push for a ban on cured processed meats before ultimately ending all types of farming for meat. So it's just like the most deranged negative bullshit misinformation campaigning that you would expect to see from the crazies on the right within the union movement to terrify their members and to prioritise this over everything else. Purcell accused the union of misrepresenting a party's policies, which they absolutely have, and urged them to focus on real issues that matter to members. Troy Gray, Secretary of the ETU, said, being union is much more than wages and conditions. Citing campaigns against apartheid and in support of Medicare, to be the fair, NDIS, quite similar. and superannuation. This is, now that I think about it, being able to shoot ducks in the head, yeah, that is similar to ending racial segregation. Mm. In 1856, Victorian building workers downed tools for eight hours of work, eight hours of rest, and eight hours and of eight recreation. eight hours of shooting ducks. It, yeah. is that, it is that working class recreation that is in the balance here. Right. It just, this is such a, this is really depressing, right? Because it fucking plays into the idea that, yeah, to be working class is to just want to shoot things or to be like or, or the working class yeah. people even are fundamentally concerned with these like culture war issues. Like I agree that, yeah, we should just ban them. And I'm like, why the fuck are we even spending so much time on them? Because we should mm. be focusing on class 
issues and the fact that the unions are spending their time on this. God, yeah. what a state of affairs. It's tricky, right? Because like he's totally right. And we and and I do believe in the idea of the union movement. I mean, the unions are regularly yeah. told just focus on wages and conditions or whatever. No, that is bullshit. They are civil institutions. They yeah. do have a role in society and, and a better left, a stronger left, is a union movement that does get involved in Absolutely. wider social issues. But I'm sorry, shooting ducks in the face not is one not of them. One of them. And this guy is like, oh, it's now on the government to decide if it will stand with working class communities and work in good faith to improve and maintain this important recreation or side with fringe animal rights activists. Now, according to the RSPCA, 0.17% of the Victorian population is actively participating in duck hunting every year. It goes for 12 weeks and polling shows there is 68% support for banning the practice in the city and 60% support for banning duck hunting in the what regions. The fuck is You're going the on fringe, here? motherfucker. Yeah. You're the fringe. You're the weirdos. You're not representative of anything here. Jesus Christ. Anyway, Georgie Purcell is pissed. She says that the decision by the Labor government is absolutely uh, is, is a gutless decision. She's absolutely furious. You've gone through this parliamentary inquiry, investigated, spent all this money. It's completely ignored. It's completely gutless. She said she would no longer support the government by providing votes as a crossbencher in the upper house. Now they'll see the worst of me. I thought this was really interesting. She, this was, seems to be, an, and I guess I don't follow Georgie Purcell that closely. Like I knew who she was before all of this, but I don't know if this is something she's done before, but I get the impression that it's not, where she has explicitly said, like, I have worked constructively with the government up until this point. Mm. I'm no longer going to do that. She's been posting on socials about it. That's been her her thing is I'm not, we're not friends anymore. Friendship ended. Like we're breaking <laughs> up because of this. It's really interesting. Yeah. She's the youngest MP in is she the youngest Australia? female MP or youngest? Maybe, but certainly oh, the youngest in Victoria, sure. the youngest MP. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I mean, of course, I mean, like, of course, the Animal Justice Party, like, this is if they're not, <laughs> if they're not out and angry and worked up and draw a red line on this stuff of like shooting ducks. I suppose and quails, so. Yeah. Like, this like, where is else probably the biggest decision that Parliament has made that directly relates to animals, and that's, I guess, what they're there for. So yeah, yeah. And, you know, shout out to the Victorian Greens as well, been very vocal on this as well and just sort of, again, pointing out this ridiculous this ridiculous idea. They called the inquiry, the inquiry hands and recommendation yeah. and the government isn't. And we saw exactly the Thanks same thing with sense. Greyhound Racing in New South Wales, mm. just these fucking cowards who cannot stand up to a lobby, cannot stand up for the right thing. They don't care about you. They don't care about the public. They don't care about these processes that they set up to try and figure out the solution to this problem facing society. Fuck it. They're, they're liars and they'll lie to your face and mm-hmm. you shouldn't trust them because they're bad and the Greens are good <laughs> and the Animal Justice Party on this particular issue are good, but vote Greens. Yeah, <laughs> has some good, she has some good other policies. She's like talked about pill testing and Yeah, anyway. great. But again, join Georgie Purcell, join the Greens. Come on. Yeah, join the Greens. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one who thinks our system needs a shake-up. When rents in my neighbourhood started skyrocketing and private developers began replacing cheaper homes with overpriced luxury apartments, I got curious about how much power local councils have over our life. Councils control how we move around, where we live, who we connect with and what we do for recreation. They even influence what kinds of industries succeed or struggle and higher levels of government treat them as the voice of the whole community. So if the mayor says their city wants more coal mining or road widening or Olympic stadiums, that's what we get. I served as a city councillor for seven years. And I've seen firsthand how the two major parties are failing to plan for long-term challenges. Brisbane City Council is too heavily influenced by big property developers and multinational corporations. So many of us are struggling while they're making record profits from the housing crisis without paying their fair share towards the costs of essential local infrastructure, community facilities or public housing. 
So alongside hundreds of volunteers, I'm running with the Greens to be the Mayor of Brisbane. We want to shake up this political system and remind people they have a genuine alternative to Labor and the Liberals. This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about broadening the parameters of debate and refusing to settle for tokenism and crumbs while the mega-rich get richer. If we want cheaper, better quality housing, free and frequent public transport, more green spaces and real climate action, we need to stop settling for the status quo. The future isn't dead yet. A better world is still possible. But we all have to step up and fight for it. So, Jono or Jonathan Sriranganathan is a writer, a musician, and the former councillor for the Gabba Ward, who is now running for the Greens to be the Lord Mayor of Brisbane. Um, the election just six weeks away. Thanks for making time, Jono. <laughs> Thanks for having Yay. me. Do you think, I mean, just as an aside, I still think it's so weird that it's called Lord Mayor. Why? Oh, yeah, why? yeah. It's, it's wild, right? <laughs> it goes back almost 100 years now and actually the kind of the royalty and like the monarch has yeah. to decide to make it the mayor, the, the Lord Mayor thing. And oh, there was wow. this big debate in the council chamber because some councils were like, we don't need the Lord Mayor title. And the Conservative Party wanted it to be called the Lord Mayor. Of course. And it became a state election issue whether or not they should rename <laughs> the Brisbane Mayor Lord Mayor. It's fantastically yeah. boring stuff. but Well, and then like really, really great is when there was speculation, I think last council election, because we had a female mayoral candidate and like the media, like no one knew what to call her. They were like, yeah. Lord <laughs> Mayoress, um, <laughs> lady. Lady Lord Mayor. <laughs> lady oh. Lord Mayor. I think Brisbane's had one lady mayor in the past and the more confusing thing was that the, the mayor's partner is normally referred to as the lady mayoress. And yeah, of course. No, yeah, so... <laughs> No one was God. sure what to refer to the female Lord Mayor's partner as, which was kind of hilarious. That's really awesome. But, really good. Yeah. It's it's 2024, just so everyone remembers. Do you do the Lord's Prayer um, before a meeting? Do you do all that stuff or no? They don't anymore. They um, used to do a fairly awkward prayer and now it's just a very short one. And um, they they didn't do an acknowledgement of country when I first got elected and I just kind of had to keep. But they do now? That, yeah, I kept hassling yeah. them. Well, I would stand up and just do an acknowledgement of country without like, and that was very <laughs> annoying to the chair of the team. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, strikes again. There it is. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, no, we, this is your third time, I think, on Serious Danger. So you're probably, yeah, you're one of our more frequent guests actually. No, what? Um. Yeah, you were on the live show. If anyone wants to go back and listen, there I think episode 30 was live at National Conference and then episode 51 we also had you on mm. just chatting. Um, if anyone isn't familiar with your work, though, I was like, we don't need to spend more time probably talking about you as a, quote, controversial or divisive mm. counsellor as you always <laughs> referred to in media. Maybe I was like, maybe you could just give us, you know, your two or three top most um, favourite or kind of what people might know you as your your controversies do you have a top three oh, i mean the first one that really stuck out was when everyone decided that i was uh insulting anzac veterans oh, and yeah. that was hilarious because what i said was like oh look uh yes people are annoyed about protesters blocking roads but roads are cl closed all the time roads are closed for construction projects mm. roads are closed for anzac day marches <laughs> and that that's literally all i said and someone's like he's comparing the diggers to extinction rebellion and then it became a bigger <laughs> thing because they're like oh how dare he compare climate protesters to anzacs and suddenly yeah, they're like statewide headline news saying Jono yeah. hates the Anzacs. It was next level <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway, um, I think the next controversy is that I'm actually 
getting shushed by the librarians for those who can't say, see and who are listening. I was going to say, I love that you like, can't yell because you're in I'm a in library. I'm in a public library <laughs> and they're, they're kind of giving me the like, shh. So I'll try and flip the camera around for those who are watching. I'm literally just in the library. and um, Is it very quiet? It's pretty quiet and I was talking a bit loudly <laughs> and library. the librarians have come and they're very friendly. But like I get it. But where else am I going to go? I live on a houseboat. I don't have internet on the boat. It's very hot on the boat. You guys are like, Jono, we need a high-quality internet signal in order to eat you. I'm like, well. It's important. I know. God, yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Sorry, back to well, politics. No, it's very fitting. We really like it. I, I've, I had a thought this week when I was going to the library, sometimes I just think public libraries, are they feel like a miracle in this current mm-hmm. context, and so I love that you're at a library. Yeah. Well, this one's only open like four days a week, so but it's getting really Sad. well used, and I I think it speaks, yeah, to the fact that people need public facilities and there are lots of people who don't have good internet or comfortable housing and so this is where they come to mm. hang out and it gets, yeah, yeah. it's, it's well it is, used. It's still it's cool. like it, it is, yeah, one of the few things that has somewhat escaped the brutal yeah. neoliberal logic, right? Like yeah, this idea, yeah. why should my taxes be subsidising you reading mm. it could this be an attitude that you would argue in the One of the most successful world. long-running socialist institutions in sort yeah. of Western society, yeah. We love libraries. Um, but since you're in the library, I guess we should probably get a crack on with the actual <laughs> yeah, yeah. interview before, yeah, sure. you know, you get shushed and kicked out. Um, we wanted to have you on because, yeah, you're running for mayor. The council elections are what they're like almost six weeks away or just over six weeks away now. Mm. Um, you announced you were running for mayor in August last year after you'd quit as the councillor for the Gab Award. Curious to know about, yeah, the, the decision to lead, like to quit, to retire as a, as a councillor and go for mayor. Do you think there's more stuff you can do at a mayoral level or what was the thought process that went into that? Partly, honestly, I've been in the city council for like seven years and I was getting a little bit of foot, sick of dealing with like footpath upgrade requests that I had no power to address because <laughs> as a councillor, you have all these great ideas of how you want the city to change and how you want the neighbourhood to evolve. But the city council is still controlled by the Liberal National Party in Brisbane and it's mm. hyper-partisan. So whereas other local councils in other parts of Australia maybe you have a bit more leverage or you can negotiate with the mayor and say, hey, can you fund this or why don't we try these bike lanes? In Brisbane, the Liberals are so conservative when it comes to, say, transport planning or zoning policy that really to get much change done, you need to knock the Liberals out of the majority. And so mm. that really that was what it was. I was like, look, if I run, we can hopefully build a stronger campaign around that and take enough seats off the Liberals so that they don't have majority control over Brisbane City Council. And, yeah, yeah I guess that's broadly what I'm doing but the other piece of the puzzle is that the council has so much power and right, yeah. yeah like Brisbane City Council is not just a local government that's administering local services it's this major power base for the Liberal National Party in Queensland and is kind of like the tail wagging the dog of Queensland politics and then in mm. turn Queensland is this kind of key swing state in the Australian political Australian landscape politics, yeah. so mm. the culture of council shapes the people who live in the city of Brisbane and Brisbane shapes the state disproportionately. And so I think it's this key lever or pivot point in the national political landscape that we often under-theorise. We focus so much on state and federal politics and we forget that a lot of cultural and socio-political change starts at the local level. Well, it's quite a big deal, right? People talk about the fact that the LNP mayor of Brisbane is the highest-ranking LNP elected official government on the mainland, is, right? Actually, Apart yeah. from Tasmania, like yeah. they, they're the only big deal when you got Labor state governments across yeah, and the he, country. And he often functions as like a, a sort of de facto state opposition leader. Yeah, like right. he's, yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's probably more infamous, infer, like influential than the state 
leader of the M- uh, LNP in Queensland. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Yeah. And so, because, uh, I mean, how, what are the numbers for folks who might not know? Like, yeah, how so, many votes would we actually need to win the mayoralty? But I guess also <laughs> what it's looking like in the other seats. So, right now, Brisbane City Council has 26 councillors, and then the mayor is the 27th seat, and the Liberals hold 19 wards. So, they've got 20 out of the 27 seats. Labor has just five wards. There's one independent who's a former LNP councillor who had a falling out with Campbell Newman. And then there's a Greens ward. Uh, So right now the Greens have one out of 26 seats Mm -hmm. to knock the Liberals out of majority. We basically need to win like six or seven seats or Labor needs to win a couple more and we need to win like four or five. And if we can get the Liberals below 13 wards, then it's a kind of Greens Labor shared majority. So to be honest, it's a it's a pretty big ask. The mayoralty has about nine hundred thousand voters. Every resident of Brisbane who's an enrolled voter gets to vote. So it's mm. a huge electorate. Like you know, yeah. last year in Brisbane or twenty twenty two in Brisbane, the Greens won three federal seats, and that was a big thing. But this is kind of twice the size again. So mm, yeah, it, it and would so, be. And so yeah. Could you win the mayoralty? But the council still be dominated by the LNP. Like, yeah, that's theoretically have- possible, and that's like my worst right. nightmare. <laughs> Isn't like- that insane? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, the councils then? they elect a council, then the council itself nominates mm. within the council. Yeah, you know, they they nominate or they elect the mayor. The mayor sort of comes out of the majority of the council. But yeah, it seems like a very different structure, well, yeah. and, and you like could have a, a green mayor thing. with an LNP, LNP dominated council. But interestingly, that's what Campbell Newman did. The first year he won as mayor, there was still a Labor majority, but he was very. Oh strategically effective at kind of basically he would announce things and say the council wants to do this and build public support Mm. for an idea and then kind of wedge the Labor councillors into supporting the position he'd already announced publicly. (laughs) And I think as mayor you've got so many resources, you've got such a big platform, you've got a fair bit of executive power that you can kind of steer the direction of the council administration even if you don't have a majority of votes within the chamber, but it would be mm. a lot more difficult. Uh, realistically, mm. though, if I'm winning the mayoralty, we're probably also winning enough seats Surely. to knock, knock the Liberals yeah. off majority. Right? It would be really odd if a whole bunch of people are voting for Liberal local councillors, but then voting me for mayor. And honestly, like, I mean, no one thought we could win the Gabber in 2016. It was seems mm. completely unlikely. Um, so stranger yeah. things have happened. So what is the, what's the plan? What is the strategy to get there to win a bunch of wards and kick the LNP out? So, I mean, on the ground, in some respects, it's kind of a traditional Greensfield campaign. There's lot, lots of door knocking, some phone calling in certain electorates, and we'll have a really big presence on the polling booths and that sort of stuff. Parallel to that, I'm running perhaps a stronger anti-establishment message in line and trying to pick up those people who are just cynical of the major parties. They might not be rusted on Greens supporters, but they're they've got an appetite for change and it's a three-horse race. It's either Greens, Labor or Liberals. So anyone mm. who's frustrated with the two major parties, hopefully we can scoop up that support. And at least this time around, we've had a lot more media coverage than we would normally for a local council campaign. I think some people in the Greens are like, oh, we don't have quite as much coverage as we got in the federal election. I'm like, yeah, because it's I local mean, it's government. it's a federal election. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we're actually doing pretty damn well in terms of media coverage. There's a big focus on housing policy and we've got some big transport announcements and, yeah, really just trying to, trying to tap into those discrete constituencies of people who have some kind of gripe with local ca- council. So we've announced a proposal to ban poker machines from council facilities and we're announcing a lot of rules around 
crappy development because there's a whole layer of people who they don't pay much attention to politics, but they really hate the shitty development project down the road. So, yeah, mm. it's kind of crafting these specific policy announcements to hit certain sub-constituencies that we can hopefully peel off. Yeah. What was what was that um, Airbnb policy? Yeah, crack down on short-term rental accommodation. Like right. the funny thing, and actually this is something that I th- hope Greens councillors in other parts of the country pay more attention to, is that the councils, most councils can set their own rates and that's actually a really big policy lever because it's kind of a direct land tax in a way. Mm. And you can mm. set different rates for different land uses. So you can say, we're going to charge higher rates for Airbnb than we are for long-term rentals and in so wow. doing, discourage Airbnbs. And we're doing the same in the council election. We're proposing higher rates for vacant properties to discourage properties being left vacant. We're proposing higher rates for landlords who jack up the rent. So that's uh, effectively how we can introduce a rent freeze at the council level. So yeah, I think a lot of people underestimate the value of council's policy levers because most of the time, most councils don't do that radical stuff. They just well, sort of, it's meant to be roads, rates, and rubbish. That's what we've been or taught. Whatever it is, yeah, right? yeah. It, it never actually was just those things. It was always a much bigger. Like councils have always played a much bigger role in terms of leading communities and shaping cultural norms. And we see that from time to time when you know a couple of councils will come out and say they're not doing Australia Day celebrations anymore, or a, mm. a council will come out and say like Brisbane said, oh, we want to host the Olympics. And then suddenly it's happening, right? Like these local government institutions have a disproportionate impact on higher levels of government. And so council is never just about roads, rates and rubbish. It's always been about much more than that. But the neoliberal political project is continually trying to narrow people's imaginations of what council has the power to control and Mm. in so doing like builds a mandate for eroding local government democracy and that's happened a lot in Queensland where property developers and other big business interests are constantly like, oh, council's not important, we we can amalgamate them, we can reduce their direct power so that big business can manipulate these quite powerful entities. I could rant about this stuff all the day, all day, but you guys have probably got other questions to ask me about. <laughs> well, but I mean, and this is, I think this is the challenge. Like you're right, even though this is a massively powerful government institution, Brisbane City Council in in particular, mm. um, there it is still harder to get people interested and excited in council and to think about it politically. And I think that that's one of the major challenges that the Greens have taken on and the the kind of top line, the, the political analysis um, or pitch that is being made to, to voters is that you've got an LNP council that has cut $400 million from the budget to pay for tax cuts for developers and that that says something about their closeness, their alliance to big corporations and Mm. developers and that they will prioritise those profits over services and infrastructure for people, Mm. uh, which is a pretty core Greens message, right, and translating that to a council level. Yeah, but and maybe this is a, a deeper challenge for the Greens as a political project is that in Australia, the Australian Greens orient very heavily towards what we might like crassly call big government social democracy. It's like tax and spend, centralised provision of government public services, whereas there's an alternative radical left-wing thread of what might people might call municipalism or and, and that's the idea of decentralising power to the local level where local governments are responsible for more public services and communities are making democratic decisions about what's important to them in their local area. And that mm. um, that kind of shift is something that I think it's hard for a lot of Australian Green supporters to make mentally because in their heads 100 years from now, 
the Australian nation state will still exist. That's kind of their default presumption is that, but whereas I come at it from the perspective of like nation states are inherently violent, like a nation with strict borders cannot exist without guns to police those borders. And so for me, it's kind of inevitable that the path to a better world requires us to render the colonial nation state irrelevant and build up alternative sources of power and localise decentralised democratic institutions as a counterweight to globalised capitalism. Um, mm. But this sort of stuff <laughs> is, is like... Well, yeah. Sorry, I love this. this. It's just so... I just imagine you saying that. Someone in saying, the library. Rates, roads and rubbish. Rates, roads and rubbish. Well, no, actually, the nation state will collapse over time. <laughs> <laughs> well, either it'll collapse or we'll all drown in, like, climate apocalypse. Like, mm. But, yeah, it's... I mean, you. yes, like, I think that there are a lot of people in the Greens are state socialists or democratic mm. socialists who don't necessarily agree with that. And there's, like, there's a friendly tension there, but I actually think that, yes, it's... I, I like that we have both you and people who are like, no, we want the state. We want the state yeah. to be the provider of services. It's a broad church, everyone. It's a broad church. But, it's a broad but, church. But there That's is a right. really deep contradiction there in Greens politics because if you want the state to exist, what you're essentially saying is that you want violence to be used to police its borders. People can't. I don't really... know that that's necessarily true. Well, well go like, on then. How how does a nation exist if if it can't keep people out that it wants to? Exclude? Well, but if you're se- like, I mean, in theory, if you're able to separate something into a geographical area that's like a council, like a municipal government, then that in itself that's theoretically a border, right? Like, no, and we, I, we'll and have I to have a whole other podcast about anarcho communitarianism <laughs> and like anarchic <laughs> confederalism. There are so many other models of like government and and decision making and how societies can sure. be structured. But we're just, I think, trapped in this mode of thinking of like, oh, it's nation states or nothing else. That's is um, it a bike path, kind of like a border you know, down the street? Like, aren't you <laughs> yeah, really? Like, that's you right. We just have a bike path around keep... the whole of Australia, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> and it's safely separated and shaded. You know, so. <laughs> That's the utopia. <laughs> That's the utopia. Um, so, but yes, like it is maybe little wonder then because I was going to say it's funny the way that the LNP in particular, but the media and Labor and everyone responds to you talking about things, you know, whether it's banning pokies mm. in council-owned clubs or just keeping libraries open for longer or, your yeah, more bikeways, it's all dangerous. Like the word dangerous <laughs> is constantly, that is the LNP's mm. um, response to everything this week, even, yeah, the, the LNP, like it seems like sort of officially launched their council campaign for the media and the headlines were all about the Greens and a, quote, desperate yeah. coalition. <laughs> Everyone should be very worried. Like mm. do you – I think that that is a stupid strategy because it makes us look really big and like serious contenders. And, yeah, it, it is a, ser- a silly strategy because it's inflating our relevance and, and creating a contest yeah. where, I mean, really Labor is not a serious threat at the local government level. It's either going to be Greens winning more seats or the Liberals are going to hold on to power. So – by continually attacking us, they are definitely increasing our relevance. But, I mean, yeah, it's also interesting that that's all they've got. Like their only criticism mm. of us is this hyperbolic, like hysterical, like shrill critique of the Greens are anti-motorists and they're going to collapse society. <laughs> like because people, there are now more federal Greens MPs in Brisbane local government area than there are Labor federal MPs or Liberal Mm. federal MPs. The Greens actually have more federal seats in (laughs) Brisbane than either of the major parties. Mm. And so when when you've got these like when the Liberals are shouting like, oh, the Greens are going to destroy society, the 400,000 Brisbane voters already have a Greens federal MP and and the city hasn't burned down yet. So there's like 
you know, it just doesn't cut through as credible for a lot of people, I think. But I mean, yeah. it's also Particularly when I, some of those MPs are at your local school giving your kids a free yeah, breakfast, exactly. or just like yeah. the lived yes. example of having local Greens MPs of being nice, yeah. normal people who are actually doing stuff with their power and resources. Totally. But the, I think the, um, I mean, it's all, it feels obvious to me at least that a lot of this stuff is also racially coded. Like even, um, mm. you know, the deployment of like terms like un-Australian and like continually, like I think at some point the mayor has Have they been out. using un-Australian? I hadn't even oh, seen they that they use one. that all the time against me. But um, even Classic. like the, when, in, in response to my pretty staunch support for the Palestinian liberation struggle, the, the mayor like, accusing me of directly supporting terrorism. Like this is stuff that I think generally speaking, I mean, Maureen Faruqi's copped it and I've copped it and mm. Lydia copped it before the party kicked her out. But there's like there's not many other white Greens politicians who cop as much of that what I think is racially coded yeah. critique. Yeah, we've spoken about this before, I think, mm. but it's so clear when you look at other politicians who are actually saying the same things, who may even be like who are just as radical or more radical on on various issues but don't get coded in the mm-hmm. same way don't yeah don't receive the same kind of attacks i mean i would i think that it seems like the media attacks have been slower since you announced your mayoralty mm. and i wonder if that is because they're starting to realize that that just boosts your your profile in a way and they see you as a real threat now and so they actually there is kind of that that pullback what do, what do you think of that Perhaps. I mean, perhaps also there was a bit of a circuit breaker when I stepped down and now I'm no mm. longer an elected representative. So, True. you know, there's that that kind of pearl clutching moral indignation of like, how can an elected representative He's say being these paid things? You know, from our yes. taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, perhaps that's part of it as well. But I think also it's not so much that the media has, has realised that they're giving me more profile. What's happened is that the um, media has realized I'm actually quite popular. Like we don't know how popular, we don't know exactly. Like <laughs> I don't want to blow my own horn, but like they're, they're like, oh, actually some people like this guy. And mm. and when we yeah. when we run these really negative stories about them, we get all these compl- about him, we get all these complaints. And so the yeah. media is also, although they're often quite detached from reality, they are still somewhat susceptible to public pressure and public mm. opinion. And even yeah. like yesterday I did an interview with 4BC, which is one of Brisbane's most conservative radio stations. <laughs> And even the host was like, look, we're getting messages in from callers being like, oh, never thought I'd vote Greens, but this guy sounds all right. You know, like yes. so, so even in that world, yes, people are like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So maybe we can close, like we can head to the sort of what your predictions are. Do you think that the Greens, the way that the campaign is going at the moment, the response that you're getting from voters on on the ground and the kind of mm. media response how likely do you think it is that the Greens are going to pick up a bunch of seats or even potentially yeah. the mayoralty? I mean, I think it's likely that we'll pick up a couple of seats, but honestly, we don't know. And like yeah. the, one of the contradictions of electoral politics is that you're always projecting confidence. You have to talk a big game and be like, yeah, we're going to win a whole bunch of seats because people want to back a winner. And there's this kind of cyclical thing of like p- the puffer fish effect of like you make yourself look really big and then people take you more seriously. Um but this, the Brisbane City Council is such a big electorate. Like I said, it's like more than like 900,000 voters, I think, at last count. So it's way too big for us to door knock the whole thing. We know that mm. in the areas where door knocking, our vote is really strong. And I think we'll pick up several wards across the inner city fairly comfortably. That's my prediction. Um, mm, hopefully I'm not coming across too cocky. But like the real <laughs> question will be what, what kind of swings we get in the middle burbs. Yeah. 
but we just do not know really what our support level is doing in the outer suburbs right now. We haven't yeah. even had the money for a poll. It's like mm. I, I'm out on the ground in outer suburban locations and people recognize me and they're like, oh, there's Jono. Good luck, mate. Hope you get the mayor. So like that's cool. But I don't yeah. know. That's obviously a skewed sample. So there's really, it, let, say with recent state and federal elections, we've had a better idea of how we're going in our key seats because we've had like multiple polls coming up mm. before an election and we've been such a at such a critical mass of door knocking. So, yeah, this one feels like we're in the dark a little bit more. But, I kind of feel that yeah. way too. I really don't know. Mm. Um, I mean, and it is interesting, yes, like Labor from the very start of this council campaign just seems to have sort of retreated to the suburbs. Like it's almost mm-hmm. as though they're barely focusing on inner Brisbane. They've just decided we probably, you know, it's Greens territory now <laughs> yeah. or the Libs will keep it. And so they've had this messaging that's all about the suburbs, presumably because they're thinking ahead to the state election and sandbagging uh, their state seats from a Greens kind of insurgency there. Mm. And it is what's interesting about the council election, of course, is that, yeah, the result of that, to my mind, is like that's the key. That's when you look at that and you have to probably reassess everything when it comes to the state election in October. Mm, but, I mean, I don't even think Labor is that sophisticated. I think <laughs> La- Labor has... Like, it's not the, campaigning well, the, very the, well. The Queensland Labor Party for the last kind of two decades has completely neglected local government, whereas the Liberals see it as a power base and understand its political significance in terms of shaping mm. the culture of mm. the Brisbane body politic. Labor has missed that completely and it's been to their detriment in, and that's partly how the Greens have built power, right? Like we mm. won the GAB award and we built on that to win state seats and then federal seats. But by Labor doesn't seem to have the Brisbane local government elections as part of its election strategy for state and federal seats and mm. they don't run strong candidates, they don't put much resource in. It's obvious that they're like sometimes their local government messaging cuts completely across their state and federal messaging. That's true. And yeah. so, yeah, I don't even think they're, they've thought about it that deeply. I think it's just like half a dozen Labor councillors and some random person they tricked into running for mayor kind of <laughs> running around working out, oh, what, what do we talk about? They've got like, compromise on them and forced them to run. I when was know. the last time I, there was a Labor mayor of, uh, of Brisbane or was it just been I think I was still in high school. I think it was like yeah. 2003 maybe. Mm. I, like Jim Sawley was the that last Labor mayor right, yeah. or Tim yeah. Quinn maybe. It was decades ago. The Liberals have held power in Brisbane for 20-plus years now. So um, I don't think people can even imagine what it would be like to have a different, more progressive council administration. Yeah. We've just become so used to a certain paradigm that we can't even imagine a different way. The Brisbane City Council colours are even the LNP colours and <laughs> yeah. I never really, like I don't know if that's a, um, a deliberate or how that happened, but it's true. Like they're almost mm. synonymous with the LNP. <laughs> good uh, are there any like campaign events, like debates, leaders debates? Are you going to be on the same stage as Adrian Schinner? Yeah, the, actually. Stuff? Is that, Schinner. Is that <laughs> What's his name? Adrian Schrinner. um, Yeah, just in the last couple of weeks, I've started to get invited to a couple of the bigger debates and like the Courier Mail's treating me as one of the three candidates for the mayoralty Mm. and the Queensland Media Club's invited me along to a debate, which last time in 2020, our Greens mayoral candidate didn't get invited to. So Ah. there's definitely a shift where the media understands us now to be a serious contender and that that narrative that that it's either going to stay with the Liberals or it's going to swing to the Greens seems to have persuaded a lot of people. Like no one thinks Labor's going to win the mayoralty, but there's a lot of people who think the Greens could snag it. 
Mm, Yeah, that's what I think makes this election so interesting and so scary for me because there's so much riding on it for the Greens strategy. Like, whereas, like you're saying, maybe Labor isn't thinking about them as being connected. The Greens have been very deliberate in being like, it's all, you know, it's council and then it's state and then it's federal. Mm. And whereas in the past, one of the key barriers that we need to jump over is convincing people that we can win and we orient our, our strategy towards that. Mm. following the federal election, suddenly there's it's just accepted every single article about council or state elections coming up is how much are the Greens going to continue to grow? And mm. so obviously for someone like me, I am like constantly terrified that what if it doesn't grow? Does that mean, oh, it's it's over? We we had a bit of a surge, and but that was just a blip on the radar. It was a phase and the kids are over it now. <laughs> but I mean, we also have to remember that local government is harder because it's optional preferential voting. At, the, sta- at the state and yes. federal level, it's uh, CPV, compulsory preferential voting, which means it's much easier to win seats. That's why mm-hmm. we won the GABA in 2016 and didn't win any more seats in 2020 because there was this... Um, Pre- not yeah. enough preference flow from Labor voters who, when they came in second. So, like, yeah, yeah, and but, particularly got fucked over because of COVID, and yeah. so there are fewer people to tell people like to get out there on the booze and mm. hand out how to vote cards to yeah. make those preference flows. So, council happen. is a lot harder, and I think like I'm hoping people understand that and they don't overanalyze the results. Like, if we don't mm. win a whole bunch of seats, it's not necessarily because the Greens have gone backwards or the Green Wave is over. It's just because the voting system makes it a lot harder mm. at the local government level. Yeah, but I think we still need like I think we still do need to get some positive swings in seats to continue that momentum if mm. we want to do well in state and if we want to keep our federal seats some of which are really on a of nice course. edge like I disagree th- I think our federal really? seats are fine I think everyone in oh, the greens God. has been ridiculously <laughs> risk averse like I, I mean I, I at least I know my electorate and my part of the city yeah, but what well about enough. Brisbane I mean, the the benefits of incumbency are huge. Like, I don't want to be too mm. arrogant about it. Like, but once once you're an incumbent and you're not in government, people aren't annoyed at you for all the things that the government's doing. But you have all the benefits of incumbency in terms of people recognise you and you go into all the events and you've got this big office budget to send out letters. Mm. Like, like it's it's almost an ideal position to be in to be the incumbent, but to not be in government power because you can blame the government for everything that people are annoyed about and you just have to be just keep doing a good job of being a local elected representative like when sure. i won when i it won the award in for the record That's when i won the government in 2016 like we won by a margin of like 300 votes and then when i like i got a, i think we ended up on a like 15% swing coming into the 2020 election and like mm. we didn't even do that much. But that wasn't just incumbency. Time. That was a that was a fucking massive campaign and years of work from you and your office, you know, sure. and other, a whole lot of other factors. Sure, sure. I don't want to downplay all that stuff, but we didn't actually do a huge amount of door knocking for my re-election campaign in 2020 for the Gabba. We mm. we were way short of where we were in the state and federal campaigns around that yeah. time. Um, like incumbency is just such a massive benefit. So I, I yeah, I don't want to so. get too arrogant, but like I think our federal <laughs> I seats so. are I fine. I hope you're right, Jono. And, and I think yeah. what I think the Greens should be doing is putting more resources and energy into pushing out, into winning more state and federal seats because if all you're doing is sandbagging and defending the couple of seats you've already won, you're kind of on the back foot. Whereas if you're threatening Labor and the Liberals in other seats, then they have to divert resources to defend those seats and they can't put resources into winning back the seats mm. that you've already held. Like, go on the attack. Don't just be like, oh, we've got to defend Brisbane and Ryan and Griffith. Be like, no, we're mm. going to take Morton. We're going to take Bonner. We're going to take Lily. 
put, mount a serious challenge in those electorates in suburban Brisbane. And then the major parties don't have the resources to challenge us in Brisbane and Ryan because yeah. they're so worried about losing their only seats left in southeast Queensland. Like that's that should be the strategy. It should be a more confident, assertive approach mm. rather than this. Like because we've seen the same thing with Adam Bant down in Melbourne where every federal election the party's like, oh, we can't lose Melbourne. We'll have to put more money into well, defending yeah, Adam. Well, yeah, that's probably a bit and silly like, at that point. Guys, he's Adam's fine. Seen- yeah. yeah, like yeah, you look at the crazy. primary vote, you look at the trends, there's no strong challenger. Why is the party still wasting hundreds of thousands of dollars defending a very, very safe seat when we could mm. be putting that resources into winning more seats? Yeah. It's a no-brainer I, yes, to me, but. I, Dear listener, Jono <laughs> and I maybe have a difference of strategic opinion on some but levels, but I, I do agree that you need to force the major parties into yeah pouring resources into trying to prevent themselves from losing more seats mm. um, so that they're not just yeah, fully spending all their money attacking us in the seats that we hold. Mm. Um, we probably are starting to run out of time. Maybe hey. before before we go, do you have any, for, for people who are in Brisbane, probably a different answer to those who are outside of Brisbane, but what people can do to help if they don't necessarily believe that we're, we're totally fine. And yeah. <laughs> we're just Sounds like we don't have to do anything. It's great. <laughs> if, if, if you're out of Brisbane, give us your money. We need, um, we need donations. Money. Like that's, really that's true. For sure. That's the biggest challenge for the council campaign. Like my starting budget for the mayoral campaign was $0. And then eventually the party was like, oh, I think we can find a couple of thousand. So for for an electorate of 900,000 voters, the party put in a grand total of about $4,000 to the mayoral campaign. But we've raised tens of thousands of dollars since then. So there's a lot of people out in the community Mm. who see value in the project. And part of it for us is not just about winning votes, but it's also about pushing these ideas further out into the community. So whether we actually win or don't is kind of beside the point. The point is to normalise a completely different politics and a completely different set of much broader policy demands. So, yeah, if you're Mm. outside of the city, please flick us a donation. There's links on my website. And mm, if we can put those in the show notes too. And if you're in, in town, come volunteer for us. We could um, really use more people to come out door knocking, but also on election day we need people to hand out flyers at the booths. We've got lots of letters to deliver. We're like hand mm. delivering several hundred thousand letters over the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, yeah quite there's, overwhelming. there's lots of ways to get involved as a volunteer as well. Yeah, cool. Any any last questions, thoughts, Tom? No, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm gunning for you. I think we all agree a good strategy <laughs> is to win votes. And yes, so I agree with votes, that. Convince people of a political project, and everything will be great, and we will dismantle <laughs> the nation state. And, and keep, keep an eye out for um, anti eviction actions over the next few weeks, because as we go out and door knock and talk to people, we're meeting people who are getting evicted, and we're like, we're going to do what we can. So I think even next week there might be another eviction blockade action that we'll need volunteers out on the ground for. Would so. that be like people can keep an eye out on your social yeah, media? Follow my social channels. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and cool. yeah, All if you right. want to sign up for email updates, jonathan3.com slash updates is pretty good too. Sweet. All right. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, um, Jono. Stop annoying everyone at the library now. We'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. There we go. <laughs> All right. Catch us later. Thanks, Thanks for the chat. All right. Thank you. Folks, we will put the links in the show notes for those things that, that Jono mentioned, where you can donate, where you can follow him on social media. If you are in Brisbane, please, you can go to greens.org.au forward slash volunteer. I would probably want to sign up now, though, if you're not signed up already to volunteer for election day there. But if you want to hit the ground, honestly, I would find your local ca- candidate and just get in touch with them directly and be like, 
when are you door knocking? I'll be there. You can letterbox as well, get a sign on your fence, all of these things. Also, I'll, I'll put a link um, in the show notes for one more call to action for the week, which is there's an APAN form email that you can use to email your federal MP and your senators asking them to reinstate funding to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. That is the agency that provides education and um, healthcare and other aid and support to people in Palestine. And the Australian government, along with a bunch of other governments, has decided to pull funding after Israel alleged that UNRWA was involved or had people involved in the October 7 Hamas attacks, even though those people have been immediately stood down from the agency and there's investigations being carried out. And putting all of that aside to withdraw funding means Mm. effectively collective punishment against the civilians who would be the receipt or who would be in receipt of that support and who deserve to get fucking fed and clothed and sheltered and educated, et cetera. So there's this form email you can use to reinstate that funding and instead support measures to prevent the ongoing genocide in Gaza, including cutting military support to Israel. We'll put that link in the show notes. God, it just seems so obvious. Give the money does, to the suffering people, the innocent Not people, the and stop giving yeah. money to the people who are killing them. That's pretty simple. You'd think. You'd think it's Maybe a very we need complex an inquiry into this. Let's get an inquiry. Need an inquiry. Too. That's right. Um, also, please, like we said, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It really helps us out. Say nice things. Fight the one-star reviewers. You can also support the show on Patreon for just three bucks a month. The links are all at seriousdangerpod.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Serious Danger AU. Thanks, team. See you next week. Serious Danger Australia.